Thank you, Stephanie, for that song, um, all the songs today. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. And uh, the songs today focused on our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we sang a song, Jesus is Better, kind of singing through that song today in my mind. And, um, and then the songs this evening um, it's good for us to get a reflection, kind of change our bearings and get our eyes uh, like Peter. Um, sometimes we get our eyes on, on the storms and the things around us and we need to uh, get reoriented and uh, that, can, that can help us. And so um, uh, good attention through music today uh, to draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 56, please. I'd like to look at this psalm today. This evening, a psalm I was studying this week, I read it several times, actually multiple times in my devotions uh, this week while on uh, time away, and um, just took the time yesterday in some time of study um, for this evening's service, Psalm 56. I'd like to read the whole psalm, 13 verses. And uh, you can see it. David said, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they have many that fight against me, O thou most high. A time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I will put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Now tell us my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, help us this evening as we look at this psalm. It would be an encouragement to us tonight. And in light of our trust that needs to be put in you, that we would not be afraid, uh, but trust in you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On September 6th, 1774... The first act of the first session of the Continental Congress passed a resolution. This is their first act. That they would meet, and at the beginning of their meeting, they would have prayer. This prayer was conducted by an Episcopalian minister who officiated the prayer, read from Psalm 35. And the following words were read in front of our founding fathers as they met in Philadelphia. 
Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth, and reignest with power and supreme, and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and government governments. Look down in mercy, we beg thee, on these American states, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee they have appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for the countenance and support which thou alone canst give. Take them therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Be thou present, God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored and truth and justice, religion, and piety prevail and flourish among your people. And crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior. Amen. First prayer among continental Congress, September 6, 1774. Less than a century after our nation was founded, we engaged in a great civil war. And in 1861, Secretary of the Treasurer uh, Solomon Chase received a letter from a Baptist pastor, M.R. Watkinson, saying this. Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual report to Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has thereto, hereto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form of our coins. You are probably a Christian, and if our republic were not shattered beyond reconstruction, would not the antiquities of succeeding centuries rightly reason that our past, that we were a heathen nation? What I propose is that instead of the godness, goddess of liberty, we shall have next inside the 13 stars a ring inscribed with the words perpetual union. Within the ring, the all-seeing eye, crowned with a halo, beneath his eye, the American flag, bearing in its field stars equal to the number of the states united. And in the folds of the bars, the words will read, God, liberty, law. This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. This would relieve us from the ignominy of heathenism. This would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally acclaimed. From my hearth I have felt our national shame is disowning God as not the least of our present national disasters. Seven days after receiving that letter from that Baptist pastor, Secretary Chase wrote to James Pollock, the director of Mint of Philadelphia, and instructed him to prepare a motto, declaring, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God and safe except to his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national currency. Therefore, in God we trust. 
first appeared in 1864 on the two-cent coin. Nearly a hundred years later, on June 14th, this month, 1954, Congress unanimously ordered the inclusion of the words under God in the nation's Pledge of Allegiance, of which we said this morning. A law passed by the 84th Congress and approved by the President of the United States on July 30th, 1956, by President Dwight D. Eisenhower, approved a joint resolution of the 84th Congress declaring, In God We Trust, to be the motto of the nation of America. Interesting that there is a constant, and has been since day one, a constant um, attack in our country upon these very words that have their root in the Old Testament. A psalm such as this in Psalm 56 of our trust in the Lord. As we look through this passage and this psalm, notice the header. If you have uh, the headers over the top of the psalms, these are um, connected in the canon of Scripture. They are headers that are given to us. They are in the Jewish uh, Hebrew Bible. They are um, inspired in, uh, over the top of these headers. To the chief musician, um, if in different um, headers may say different things. I have a Hebrew word, Jonathan, Jonath, Jonath, Elam, Rekokim, Miktam of David, when the Philistines took him in Gath. Yours may say something in similar fashion. There's a translation of this Hebrew word. This is a title over this psalm. This gives us the context of the psalm. It was a psalm written by David to his chief musician. And the, the Hebrew phrase that is used over here is transliterated upon or according to a dove far away. Or some translations have put in from far away oaks, all right, from far away trees or mountains. This seems to be some kind of um, Hebrew term indicating a type of tune that this song is sung to. That at least is the consensus of some of my study from some Hebrew scholars this week. The word Jonah is mentioned in this title. You remember when we studied the book of Jonah, Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove. And it's found here in the title of this psalm. It's a, a reference to a dove. So, the, psalm, the psalmist, David, seems to be thinking of himself in some kind of fashion like a song of a dove who is flying from afar away. Almost like he's been captured. This will go well with, uh, with the psalm itself. Michtam, M-I-C-H-T-A-M, which is in uh, the, the title as well, is a term used over six psalms. Six of them. The first one being Psalm 16. Then the next five is Psalm 56 through 60. If you'll notice a term over, this same term is used over 57, 58, 59, and 60. It's also used in the title of Psalm 16. This word, we don't know quite the precise meaning of this word, but there seems to be a consensus of the root of this Hebrew word means to inscribe or to engrave. 
What we do know is that this psalm is connected with the other five psalms who have the same title mentioned in them. You say, Pastor, what, what, what does that mean? In other words, these psalms are connected. They're very, they're emotional psalms, psalms of protection. So it seems that the psalmist sees himself as a bird that has been trapped, like a dove that has been in a faraway country. All six of these psalms indicate some kind of call or plead of God for protection. Psalm 57, the very first words, Be merciful unto me, O Lord. And he cries out. He's asking the Lord. Uh, Psalm 59, Deliver me from mine enemies, O God. Psalm 60, O God, you have cast, uh, thou hast cast us off. Psalm 16, ask the Lord specifically that, that he would keep watch over him and protect him. So these words, obviously David feels vulnerable and needs a protector. Notice the last portion of this, uh, of this title, when the Philistines took him in Gath. This will connect us also with Psalm 34. If you want to write in the top of this psalm a connection to Psalm 34 and Psalm 16. This Psalm 34 gives us the context of David when he was with the Philistines and had been driven out of their presence. This is recorded in 1 Samuel 21 verses 10 through 15. You remember that story? David is running from Saul and he's try they're trying to kill him. And David finds himself running to the city of Gath. The very place where he killed, our very home place of where he killed their champion Goliath. And under King Achish, David is trying to find refuge. But you remember uh, the king and the Philistines look at David and say, what's he coming here? Is he a spy? And David, in a foolish fashion, begins to act like he's crazy. Starts foaming at the mouth. And falling on the floor. And acting foolishly. And the Philistines are looking like, what is this? You see, David had acted foolishly because he was in fear. And he wasn't responding to God in the right way. You know, fear will cause you to do foolish things. So here, David has been taken over by fear. Fear will get our emotions all out of whack. When you're afraid, you begin thinking and feeling things that aren't right. Fear will cause us to get mad at others. When we're afraid, when we're in a situation that we can't handle, all of a sudden we panic, we get angry, and we start to lash out at people closest to us. And ultimately, we may even get mad at God. God, I don't deserve to be in this situation. God, I'm afraid about what's going to happen. And, 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 um, and, and you get mad at God. You start blaming God and just trusting Him. Our natural tendency in stressful situations is to panic and blame others for the problems. And in this context of this psalm, we see where David is. That gives us an understanding of what David is crying out to. Crying out to the Lord. Notice first of all that David seems swallowed up. He says twice. Verse 1, he said, for man would swallow me up. Verse 2, mine enemies would daily swallow me up. This Hebrew word means to crush, to trample, to devour. It, has, it can also be translated to pursue or to chase after or to pant for. In other words, this word is an indication twice the psalm, David uses it. Like his enemies are chasing him and he's running away. They won't give up. 
It can be a legal term that was often used in the court as, uh, as the opponents would be attacking and legally attacking and chasing and trying to accuse. Notice also twice in these two verses, he uses the word fighting or to attack. He fighting daily oppress me. Notice the second part of verse 2. For they that are many that fight against me. So not only are they chasing after him to crush him and stomp him out and to destroy him, but they are fighting him. This is an indication of a term of war. Not only is he taking a legal battle where he's these words and these, uh, he feels cha- he being like he's being chased, but also they're, they're, they've got their swords and spears and, and their shields out, and I'm in a battle. I'm in a fight. You see, they wanted him dead. They wanted him destroyed. Listen, you have an enemy that wants to destroy you as well. He would love nothing more than to destroy your life. He would love nothing more than to cause you to be defeated in your sin and your temptation. To be trapped by your sin and, and, and your lust. And just like David, you're chosen of God for a purpose and the devil would love to mess you all up inside and out. We have an enemy that is very real. And David feels the pressure of the enemy. He feels their breath upon his neck. He feels trapped. He says daily. He uses this word twice in these two verses as well. Daily. He fights and oppresses me all day long. The enemy doesn't give up. MacArthur states the anguish intenses by unceasing harassment. It's always there. Eventually it'll wear on you. I don't care who you are. The fight day after day after day after day will eventually wear to the point that, that you, you get worn down in your flesh. It works over time on you. Spurgeon said this of this psalm, The enemy's appetite for blood never fails. With him there is no truce, there is no armistice. He doesn't give up. Do you ever feel that the battle over the enemy is all the time and all around You see, the psalmist feels overwhelmed by the enemy, defeated and abandoned, and David's feelings have just kind of overpowered him. Notice what he says in this verse, my enemies would would daily swallow me up, for they be many. He feels overwhelmed, outnumbered. Imagine being the only Jew in the presence of all of these Philistines. No wonder in fear, all alone, He resorts to madness to try and get through the situation. Why is he there? Why is he with the Philistines in the first place? Well, he's there because he put himself in that situation. He ran to the enemy, thinking that they would protect him. He's in this situation because of himself. He made the mistake. He went into the land of the Philistines. He was the Jonah. You say, well, he was running from Saul. He couldn't help that situation. No, he couldn't. But God wanted some responses, certain types of responses. And in fear, David uh, lost control, got out of the plan of God, and ran to the enemy thinking that they would rescue him and save him from Saul. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we put ourselves into. We did it. We made the mistake. And we are bearing the consequences of that. Sometimes we're in the heat of the battle. Because it's just the nature of being a Christian and being a believer in the fight. And God sent us into the fight and we're surrounded by the enemy. And God knows we're there. He's called you to something. He's called you to a ministry. We are going to at times be outnumbered. 
We're going to feel like Elijah's servant who looks out and sees the Syrian army surrounding about him and think of being overwhelmed and there's no way that we can defeat this, Elijah. It's what happens. A statement here by Spurgeon says they are like a wolf pack. However, we must understand that they are led by one single enemy, one single leader, the devil, the serpent, the lion. And he is the main source of our adversary. He is behind all the opposition, the evil one. That's why Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as David cries out in this psalm, he sees himself surrounded. He seems overwhelmed. And he's pleading with the Lord, be merciful. Lord, look at this situation. His complaint continues in verses 5 and 6. Look down in verse 5 and 6. I'll skip a couple verses because as he just kind of jumps as a man of fear and faith in this moment. He's got a few verses of complaint. He's got a few verses of fear. He's got a few verses of complaint. Then some verses of fear. And then he ends with faith. And in verse 5 and 6, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are evil against me. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. So these two verses together, again, are a continuation of the first two verses. Every day, they rest my words. This word rest means to twist. Their thoughts are against me. Every time they hear my name, they think evil of me. They're, they're, they're trying to plan evil against me. Unkind deeds, unkind words. Always coming from, from them towards me. He feels this constant attack. They gather themselves against me. One person said, fire brands burn the fiercest for being pushed together. He says they hide. This term is used in the sense of lurking around a corner. Almost like they're peeking at me. They're always watching me. Everywhere I go, their eyes are there. They're watching my very steps. They can't wait to jump out on me. They can't wait to, to, to find me, make a mistake, and then point it out to everyone. They watch my steps. They wait for my soul. The enemy is just watching for me to make a mistake in every move. They can't wait for David to fall. You see, in this psalm, we see this complaint and this pleading to the Lord A godly man knows his enemies are always present and always at work. A godly man knows that his steps are being watched. A godly man cannot let his guard down a moment. A godly man will plead his case to the Lord. A godly man will take the situation and the circumstance and say, God, here it is. In thee, so you have two sections of this psalm, verse 3 and 4, and verse 7 down to verse 13. So if I've kind of divided up into the four sections. I've taken verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6 and put them together in the complaint. And then verses 3 and 4 along with 7 through 13 as, as his faith. These two things that are coming together. Notice in verse 3, a verse that you probably have memorized. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. When fear comes, David recognizes that he will be afraid. In fact, he probably at this moment is afraid. 
He realizes his weakness. He knows there will be times that he will be scared. He, he's, not, he's not pious. He's not boastful about the fact, I don't ever get scared. Uh, there's never a situation that I can't control. I'm always in power. David is vulnerable. He understands his weakness. He knows there's going to be times where he's afraid. He knows that, that he, is, he is vulnerable and he has acted in the times past upon that fear. And that was his sin. And now he's making a resolve to say, when I am afraid, in the moment of fear, I will trade that fear with trust, with faith. You are feeble. We are feeble. We are but men and women. We must know our limitedness. We must know that even good men fall. We must know that strong men have been pulled down. We can't, be, we can't hold ourselves up in a, in, a, in, a, in a way thinking that we can't be touched by these type of emotions. Fear. Even Paul had his struggles. He told the Corinthians... He said, there are fightings within and fightings without. I'm perplexed. I'm troubled on every side. And, and, and when I get into those moments, I'm not going to faint. But I'm going to continue to be renewed, as he says, in my inner man. There's a whole conflict going on with the Apostle Paul. He faced this as well. He said, when I'm afraid, what do I do? Verse 3, I will trust in thee. He doesn't allow his fear to be the only thing in his heart and mind. One thing that I read this week said, it is interesting and often perplexing that within the heart of a soldier, the mixture of these thoughts and emotions can happen at the same time. You can be afraid, but have faith. You, you can feel vulnerable, but at the same time feel strong. How can that be? We often think that it's got to be one or the other. And yet, a psalmist of emotions such as this, that in one verse, he's afraid, he feels overwhelmed. In the next verse, he's holding on to the rock of God. How can that be? We don't know. But that is part of being human. That is part of being frail and weak. And the constant need for us to trust that is not a one and done. It's a constant walk. He can be afraid and yet at the same time be in faith. I'm scared, Lord, but I'm going to trust in you. And it is when fear and thoughts, stuff like this, that take uh, over in our heart and in our mind that we begin to doubt and we begin to get angry. And that's when it becomes sin. It's how do we respond to those emotions of fear, frustration, and overwhelming Verse 4, notice he says here, in God I will praise his name. In God I will put my trust. Twice he says this phrase, in God. You see, a good man, a godly man will bring his troubles and bring his plight to the Lord. He will pour out himself before the Lord. Whether it was yourself that got, uh, got you into the situation or just on the battlefield, turn to the Lord with your troubles and with your heartache. He says here, I will praise your word. You see that? I will praise his word. He said again, 
in verse 10. In God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. So he said this multiple occasions. In verse 12, he says here, Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. He keeps repeating this over and over again like a song. He's putting these thoughts in his mind. He's putting them in the right place. He's singing this. I'll praise the Lord. I'll praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord. I'll praise his word. I'll praise his promises. It's like, David, what are you doing? I'm replacing bad thoughts with good thoughts. I'm putting my mind in the right place because it's where the devil in the mind begins to attack the lies, the doubt, the discouragement, the despair, the overwhelming. And I can't think that. I must think this. And so to do that, I've got to repeat. It's almost like he's singing this song over and over again in his head. Thinking on the blessings of God. Thinking on the word of God. Thinking on the promises of God. Believe His Word. Look to His Word. That's why it's important. That's why we've talked about this with music. Music is important because it is a tool that helps to get our thinking in the right place. And music that you put in your car, and music that you listen to on your radio, and music that you listen to at work, and the music that is going on in your iPad and on constant is going to infiltrate your thinking. And if it's the wrong type of music, it's going to lure you into the wrong direction. But the right type of music, based on the Word of God, is going to keep you focused on thinking on things that are true. Philippians 4 and verse 8. And so the psalmist here is going back again to the promises and the words of God. I'm going to praise your word. I'm going to give thanks for what I have. I'm going to see that. I will trust. He says in verse 4, I will trust in thee. Look again in verse 11. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what men will do unto me. This is almost the exact same verse as verse 4. In God I will put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Interesting, in a psalm of only 13 verses, several of the verses and phrases are repeated over again. Just this constant keeping your mind, the things that are right. I will not be afraid. Twice he says that phrase. Meaning, I will not allow fear to overpower my thoughts and actions. I cannot give in to it. I must trust when I am afraid. MacArthur indicates from this passage, putting your trust and and making this decision is an act of a purposeful decision that you must make. You just don't fall into it. Fear is the natural tendency. That's what's going to happen if you don't choose to do anything else. You'll be afraid, you'll lash out, you'll doubt, you'll get angry, you'll lash out at people around you, and you'll get mad at God. Because the situation, whether it was your own or or you were put there because of the Lord. That anger is the natural tendency. What is unnatural is to make a purposeful decision that I will trust in the words of God. That despite what I see, that despite what I feel, this is the truth. And no matter what man can do, it cannot take me out of the providential care and control of an almighty God. That's what the phrase means. What can flesh do unto me? He says it again in verse 4. What can man do to me? The word here is something that is perishable. Mere mortals. Man is passing away. 
This is used in the psalm as a contrast between what is weak, what is perishable, what is vulnerable, what is temporal, and what is eternal. God. Man is flesh. Man is weak. Man can only wound with words and swords and flesh. But God is over all of those things. Wounds, they'll heal. Words, especially wrong words, are only lies. Swords may be able to cut, but God is the one who gives life. Look at verse 13. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not you also deliver my feet from falling? Lord, if you can take care of my eternity, that's the bigger then God, it's not hard for you to take care of my daily steps of what I'm facing now. If you took care of the big problem, then this problem right here is, is not too hard for you. Right? He goes from the, the greater to the lesser. And, and in his thinking, he's understanding that God is able. God can deliver the soul from death. God can deliver his feet from falling. God can cause a man to walk in the light of the living. God can take what the flesh has done and can reverse it. Spurgeon said this, though the verse in the form is a form of a resolve for David, it became a fact in David's life. And let us do it so in ourselves. Whether fear arises from within or from without, from past, present, or future, from temporals or spirituals, from men or devils, let us maintain faith that we shall soon recover courage. Now look at a couple of the verses that are skipped over in verse 7 through 9. Shall they escape by iniquity in thine anger cast down the people, O God? In other words, he says, are they going to escape the wrath of God? God's anger is upon them. This is in some ways an imprecatory verse. In other words, God, you will judge them. I can leave it up to you. I don't need to take revenge. I don't need to take things in my own hand. I'll leave them to God because he is the righteous God. And any time in the scriptures it talks about the anger of the Lord, don't think human anger like he's lost his temper. Think of judicial outrage of sin because of his holiness. Like a judge who's not lost anything, but it is being right. Therefore passing judgment. And, and David is saying, Lord, you take the situation. You deal with it. Because you're the righteous judge and you'll do what's right. You're not going to overlook the enemy and the sins. He sees both the good and the evil. This is in a form of a question. Will they escape in spite of such evil and iniquity? And the answer is no, because God will hold them accountable. God will deal with it. God is keeping accounts. Look at verse 8. He says, you tell, you, thou, tellest my wonderings, and you put my tears in thy bottle, and are they not in thy books? In other words, this means God keeps record. You, you tellest my wanderings. This is a phrase that means you know my steps. One translation says this, you count my path. In other words, God sees, he knows, he's watching every move. 
He said, you put my tears in your bottle. You write them in your book. Tears indicate the fact that there's been pain. There's been sorrow. There's been hurt. There's been suffering. Tears are often compared in the Psalms as laments, cries, weeping to the Lord. Jeremiah had a lot of tears and a lot of laments. David cries. He laments his mistake. Oh, I shouldn't have ever done that. And he weeps over the mistakes that he had, the foolishness and the fear that he gave into. He laments over his troubles. He laments over his pain and his sorrow. He had tears. He knew pain. He knew suffering from his own choices and from being in the heat of the battle and running from Saul. And David recognizes God sees every tear. And in fact, the reference to a bottle in a book would be like what we would see as a storehouse. It's almost like in heaven. This is the way he's seeing He's personifying it in his own language. But in heaven, God has a book and he's keeping record of all the accounts of the suffering that I've experienced. Or he's got this, he's got this uh, giant bottle and container. And for some of you, it's bigger than others. Because you've cried a lot more tears than someone else. You maybe have a whole lot more sorrow than someone else does. Don't compare it with someone else in your life. You look and you see that God sees what you're going through. The heartache, the suffering, the the struggles, your own mistakes, the battles that you're facing. What God has called you and put down His providence and your lot in life. He watches every step and He sees every tear. And He's keeping record. And to David, the psalmist, that's encouraging. Not only does God keep an account for his enemies and he will keep them accountable, he records their sins and he, they will meet their maker, but God also looks at his children and he's counting their tears and he's writing down their suffering and he watches their steps. God knows your nights when you awake in worry and fear. God knows your struggle and pain. God knows your sorrow. God feels and sympathizes when you weep. Look at verse 9. When I cry unto thee, thou shalt know my enemies turned back. This I know, for God is for me. This is talking about prayer. When he cries to God, He is crying and calling out to the Lord. David is confident that when he calls out to his Lord, he always hears. I know this, David says. God is for me. And interesting, in the New Testament, if God is for you, who can be against you? Instantly, when David calls to him, he knows that God will be there. He is never too busy. He is never late. He's never unable. He's never aloof. He's never unsympathetic. He's always tender, always compassionate, always listening, always looking, always knowing, and don't believe the lie of the devil, anything else. Spurgeon said this of this psalm, the machinery of prayer is not always visible, but it is most efficient. God inclines us to pray And we cry in anguish of heart. He hears. He acts. The enemy is turned back. What an irresistibly 
artillery that this is, which wins the battle as soon as it is reported into the ears of God. What a God is this who hearkens to the cry of His children and in a moment delivers them from the mightiest of adversaries. You see, this psalm takes David in the jaws of his enemy as a bird in the cages of despair and discouragement into the arms of Jehovah, into the arms and hands of a shepherd who loves him and cares for him. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Father, I praise you'd help us close tonight. Lord, thank you for these psalms that often reveal the heart, the very depths of the emotion of the psalmist that is very real to us, the struggles that we often face. Lord, would you help us to, uh, to, to be humble like Paul this morning that we've not arrived. We're still in this journey, till, still, still in the place of growth, still making steps. And the devil is powerful and his lies oftentimes to come and infiltrate our thinking and discourage us. We feel overwhelmed with the suffering and pain of this life, whether that's physical suffering or it's emotional pain or results from our own mistakes and consequences, maybe walking away from you or living in sin or, or um, broken relationships that have caused us such heartache and sorrow. Thank you that when we call out, you hear us. When we cry, you've, you've got a bottle that you, you count every tear and you're writing every step down and you're, you're not um, unsympathetic to what we're going through. But you long for us to come to you and lay down our burdens, lay down our, our cares. Thank you that, that Jesus cares for us. It's the song that we heard this evening. Lord, bless us, give us a resolve this week to be like the psalmist that when we are afraid, when the times come that we are overwhelmed, when the situations seem too hard to bear, that in, in your providence, in your care, nothing can happen to us that is outside of your plan. And we will, in, in, in light of that, we will trust in thee. I pray for our country that we have... We have fallen away. Many of our leaders have fallen away from our founding principles of, of trusting and depending upon the Lord. And um, despite what people think, our country was founded. Our founding fathers openly admitted our dependence on the Creator, uh, God, and uh, Judeo-Christian principles from the word of God and Lord now we have a country that is actively attacking those very principles we're founded upon would Christians and believers continue to stand up in um, in our day as the battle is very real would we continue to trust in you in Jesus name that we pray amen God bless you tonight have a wonderful fourth of July